Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege of just lifting our voices in worship. It's been good, it's been refreshing, Lord, to sing these songs, to just point our hearts and thoughts toward you. And the words have been refreshing, and we just thank you for the privilege of singing together, of listening to music, and of sharing in worship today. We want to pray as we open your word that we'll hear your words, continue to worship you. And we also pray for our children as they continue to meet, to sing, to study, to share together in your word, that you will bless them and enable them this week, Lord, in their young lives to live lives that please you and to be a witness to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You guys can be dismissed, children, the Children's Church and Children's Choir. Really appreciate the time of singing and sharing together in song this morning. And I really appreciate the, the song the choir sang. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, all you who are weary and heavy laden and needing rest. The song, the trainer you guys sang, the, the special song that we listened to, I noticed it was public domain. What's the background that? Do you know? What the, it's, okay. All right. The words must go back. Always, yeah, really, really, really thought-provoking and very good this morning. I'd like to ask you um, to open your Bibles to Hebrews, he- Hebrews chapter 4. And as you do so, I want you to think for a minute. You know, as you read, whether you were to read a, you know, a piece of literature, listen to a song, a poem, uh, oftentimes, one of the important things are words that are repeated. Words that are repeated, words that are highlighted. And I want to, this morning, our focus is going to be on part of Hebrews chapter 4, and it connects to what we looked at last week in Hebrews chapter 3 as well. And so I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to follow along. And as I read this first part of it, we'll read uh, down through verse 11. I want you to watch for the key word. There is a word here that's a, that's a key word that obviously sort of controls this, the thought of this passage. Verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter the rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so no one will fall short by following their example of disobedience. Professor Hansen, key word. Rest. All right. Thank you. You're earning your money at South Pacific. Good for you. <laughs> Did you see that? How many of you caught that? The word rest. And in fact, 11 times, either as an adverb or verb in chapters 3 and 4, is the word rest. The word rest. And I want us to focus on that this morning. It really fits in well with the, with the worship time we've been singing and sharing this morning. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of try and pull those strings together at the very end. Entering into God's rest. Last week in chapter 3, we uh, considered the author of Hebrews writing to his fellow Jewish believers. We believe it is specifically, this is called the epistle to the Hebrews, the Hebrew believers, I think. And uh, we looked at his quote from Psalm 95. And and. Twice in that passage, verse at the end of verse 7 and in verse 15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Then in chapter 4, we see it again where we just read today in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the day of rebellion goes back to Numbers chapter 14. Where in Numbers 14, where the people of Israel sent the spies into the land, and they came back and said, yes, it's a great land, but no, we cannot go in and take it. And they rebelled against Moses. And they were going to stone Moses and kill Moses. And God was angry at the people of Israel. And he declared, you will not go into that land. You will never go into that land, this generation. Everybody of a certain age and older, you will not go into this land. Only Joshua and Caleb were able to enter the land. And the author here writes to these people and says, don't do this again. Don't do this again. Don't harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. And then he introduces this idea of rest in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, it really becomes the controlling thought, the controlling word here that really this chapter is built around. The idea of rest in the early Christian church was actually quite a strong motif. Now, if you read some of the early Christian literature, you'll find this idea of rest, of resting in God, of resting in the Lord, of resting in His presence. We worshiped this morning, and we've talked about resting in God's presence and worshiping the Lord, lifting our voices in song and praise to Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord all God Almighty. Come unto me, all you who are weary and, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalm 95 that we looked at last week is very prominent in this passage here. And so the author here connects this with the Old Testament. And I want us to think for a minute about, I want you to think about this today because this, this chapter and as we move through Hebrews we'll see this, there's sort of a question that comes up. And that is, we talked about this last Sunday night, for those of you here on Sunday night in our Bible study, we're going to cover a few of the things we talked about last week in, in this message as well because it fits into it. In the Old Testament, um, what is this rest? What are these people in danger? 
What are these people that this author writes to? What are they in danger? These are, I believe, believers in Jesus Christ. I believe they've, been, they've accepted salvation through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. They're in this Hebrew Jewish context. This author, whoever it was, we don't know for sure, writes to them and admonishes them. And says, be careful. What are they in danger of? What happened in the Old Testament that could happen again? These people are not going into a promised land. They are not in Egypt. They are not in Sinai. They're not crossing the Jordan River. What is it? that happened to those people that could happen again. Many people, when they read these passages, they look at this and, and they see in here that his, his admonition is, be careful, because if you do what they did in the Old Testament, you too will lose your salvation. You too will lose the benefit of being in a relationship with God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that what happened in the Old Testament uh, that's, not, that's not what happened at all. What exactly happened to these people in the Old Testament? Uh, if you go back for a moment to Numbers chapter 14, put a, put a, a bookmark or a Bible or something, or I mean a bulletin or something there, and we're going to come back to Hebrews, obviously. But I want you to go back to the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 14, and you will find this account of the, we, we also mentioned this last week, uh, Kadesh Barnea where the spies were sent in. And you'll find in this, in, this, um, in this chapter, in verse 14, that after the message comes back and, and the ten spies say, no, we can't go in that land. Uh, this is a disaster. We're out here in the wilderness. Um, Moses brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And this keeps coming up with these people. In verse four, chapter 14, verse 1, that night all the people, all the people of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said, if only we had died in Egypt. And in and, and verse 4, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And in this account, you have this, this, this um, the rebellion of the people and God's response to this rebellion. But after, after they are dealt with by God, and after Moses intervenes for them, you can read, you should take time to read this chapter, chapter 14. He intervenes for them, says, God, don't, God says, Moses, stand back. I'm going to destroy these people. Moses says, God, don't do this. For your name's sake, don't do this. And we know, of course, God's sovereign will. It wasn't like God was waiting to see what happened and made no. It's all part of the account given to us. But at the end of it, you'll notice that, that Moses pleads for these people to forgive them. Look at verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. I have forgiven them. I have forgiven them. They were forgiven. They were forgiven of this sin. I mean, I don't know how else you read that. I have forgiven them. If you have been forgiven by God, you have been forgiven. God doesn't do things part way. You have been forgiven. I have forgiven them. But they still suffered the consequences. This is not, friends, about eternal security. This is not about being saved and then being lost again. There are some who say, well, these people never had faith when they came out of Eden. That's not true. 
It tells us in Exodus chapter 4 that the people had faith in God and they believed. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 about the faith of these people that, that went through. They had faith. They made a horrible mistake. They rebelled against God and they wanted to go back. What did they want to do? Why did they want to go back to Egypt? You know, years ago there was a record, um, what was his name? So you want, uh, Keith Green, wasn't it? So you want to go back to Egypt. You remember that, that album? You want to go back to Egypt. This is the story throughout this whole episode. We want to go back to Egypt. Remember in Egypt. Remember what we had there. Remember the leeks. How many of you like leeks? Any Welsh people here today? You know, they, you know what they are. They're onions. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we had, we had fresh produce there. But we were, you were slaves there. I, well, we know, but we want to go back. We, we, we want to go back to Egypt, back to what was comfortable, back to what we knew, back to what was secure, even though it was a bad situation. We want to go back. And they lost out. But listen, just to prove my point, and those of you who were with me Sunday night last week, bear with me because we, we pointed this out last Sunday night. If you think that what happens in Numbers 14 is a lostness of your salvation or your, sta- or your position in a covenant relationship. These people were in a covenant relationship to God. If their sin caused them to lose that, then you also have to deal with the story in chapter 20 of Numbers, which incidentally takes place at the same location at Marabah, in Kadesh Barnea, you notice in verse 1, they're back, they're in Kadesh Barnea. They're at Marabah. And God, and God told the people were, were grumbling because there was no water. There was no water to drink. And God said in verse 7, Lord said to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly, speak to that rock before their eyes. It will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they, light, so they and their livestock can drink. And Moses took the staff Notice, from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together. And then he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy, as holy. We've sung this morning about God's holiness. This is a grievous... I don't quite, frankly, I don't get it. If I were God, I would have let Moses go in the promised land. I mean, come on, you know. But God is holy. And God said, you've discredited my holiness in front of all the people. And because of this, you will not bring this community into the land I have given. Listen, Moses and Aaron also lost out. And they likewise were punished for their disobedience and their sin and were not allowed to go into the promised land. So if you're going to say the children of Israel lost their relationship with God, then you're going to have to say Moses and Aaron lost their relationship with God. But, but I don't think that's true. Right? Do you expect Moses, didn't he appear at the Mount of Transfiguration? So what is this about? What did they lose? What is the author of Hebrews getting at? What is the danger for these people? So I want to tell you off the bat, well, not the bat. I know I've only got 17 minutes left. I understand that. Okay. Speaking of bats, I told you last week that if the Seahawks lost, we wouldn't have to look at Gary's hideous sweater anymore. Right? 
And I told you we'll have to wait maybe till Mariner season. Guess what I saw at the sporting clothes store this week? Half off of the discount price. Uh, just as bad looking Mariner sweater as Gary Seahawk sweater. So, so if you want to give us 20 bucks, we'll go buy it. <laughs> off the bat. But listen, I want to tell you at this point, right off the bat, that I don't believe this is talking about these people who received this epistle. It's not about their salvation. I believe they're, they're people who have trusted Christ for salvation. But they are, they are in danger. What are they in danger of? Well, I like to give credit to where credit is due. Uh, a book I borrowed from Alex, and I haven't given back yet. I still have it. It's on my desk. I know where it is. Um, on Hebrews. It has a great point, and he referenced an author. And I looked up the article. And it was a great article in the, in the uh, journal that uh, Dallas Seminary puts out. Okay? So I like to give credit to where credit is due. An author named Gleason pointed this out, and I thought this was really great. I had never seen this before. I had never seen this before. I've never preached through the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning, you know, so I'm learning some new things too. I've studied it, but I'm learning some things too with you, along with you. This idea of rest, what did they lose out on? And I think the key is, as Gleason points out, it has nothing to do with their relationship, their covenant relationship. They were forgiven. Moses was forgiven, but they suffered the consequences. Look at Psalm 132. Going back in the Old Testament to Psalm 132. I know we're looking at some different passages, but we're going to pull these together. Psalm 132. Psalm 132, which was Israel's, we say Israel's hymn book. And, uh, and as, we, as we talked about last week, that, that the, the Psalm 95 that this author quotes is today, um, in, in many synagogue services, in many traditions, Psalm 95 that's quoted in Hebrews 3 and referred again in Hebrews 4 is the psalm that welcomes the Sabbath in the synagogue. It's a psalm of worship. It's a psalm, you read the first part, and we've sung songs and choruses connected to the first part of that psalm. And then it switches and goes into, be careful, don't harden your hearts as you day, as you did in the day of judgment in the desert, don't do that. It's, that's the Psalm 95. In psalm 132, and I want you to look at a couple of verses in this psalm. Psalm 132. Now I want you to look at verse, well let's look at verse 7. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, come to your resting place. And the ark, and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an earth oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and statutes, I teach them, and their sons will sit on their throne forever and ever. For, now look at it. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned for I have desired it. Verse 8 and verse 13 
Zion, the place where the tabernacle and eventually where the temple would be built, Mount Zion in Jerusalem was God's. It's the place where God would rest among his people. The temple was God's presence in the midst of the people. That's why when Moses went into the, to the tabernacle in the desert and he came back out, the people said, Moses, cover your face. You're blinding us. We can't see because he was reflecting the very Shekinah glory of God. The tabernacle was God's resting place. It was God and, and Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, David wanted to build that temple and, and Solomon's and, and God said, David, you can't build that. I never asked you to build me a temple, but your son will build it. And Solomon, his name, Shalom, Salam, Solomon, he was, he was a man of, of peace. He never had to fight any wars. David did all that. He built the temple. And you read his dedicatory prayer when he built the temple, and it clearly, he clearly makes the point and says, we know, God, that this temple does not contain your presence. We understand that. But this is your dwelling place where they did come and meet with the presence of God. Jerusalem, Mount Zion, would be God's dwelling and resting place in Israel. What did the people lose out on? The people of Israel in the desert, what they lost out on, they were forgiven. They were still God's people. Their descendants would go in and inherit the land. God would conquer the land. Joshua and Caleb took them in there, but Moses couldn't go. Aaron couldn't go. Miriam couldn't go. The rest of the spies couldn't go. That whole generation over 20 couldn't go. What did they lose out on? They lost out on the privilege of coming into the land and being at rest. and They weren't going to just do nothing there. When they came into that land, God said, Now listen, don't forget, you are inheriting the land with cities you didn't build, fields you didn't plant. But you have to take care of them. You have to work those fields. And they worked hard. This was an agricultural community. Some of you have raised in agricultural communities and you know how hard work it is. Cows don't go on vacation when you go on vacation, right? They still got to be taken care of. Crops still got to be taken care of. It's hard work. And the people of Israel had hard work to do, but there was a land of security and rest. It was a place where God was finally going to bring them and permanently his resting place, his dwelling place in Mount Zion. And they would gather around that place and spread throughout the land and they would be at rest and secure in God's presence. But this generation in Kadesh Barnea forfeited the right to enjoy God's rest in the land of promise. That's what they gave up. That's what they gave up when they rebelled against God. The author of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says to his people, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, and what we just read, we read this passage, verse 3, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then he talks more about that. Therefore, verse 7, God set a certain day, calling it today. He takes the, the, he call, he takes the psalmist, he takes, and he takes the idea of God's rest in the garden of uh, creation. And the seventh day, God rested. Another word for rest. We get the word finish, Sabbath from. He finished. And he rested. 
And God spoke to David and he says, Today, verse 7, if you hear his voice, do not harden. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest, Shavath, Sabbath rest for the people of God. We get this, this transition back and forth between the word for rest and the word for finished. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest so no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. What are they in danger of? This is an appeal by this apostle to his fellow Jews. This is an appeal. Please enter God's rest. Don't go back to Egypt. How would this generation go back to Egypt? How would they return to Egypt? How are they in danger of forfeiting rest and Sabbath rest? This generation, as we'll read as we go through Hebrews, is beginning to suffer persecution. This generation and especially these Jewish believers, are beginning to feel persecution. They are beginning to be pressured with their faith. They are being pressured from their own community. They are being pressured by the Romans. This epistle is written on the eve of the total collapse of Judaism, if you will, in Palestine when the Romans are going to come and smash it in 70 A.D. completely. You maybe have seen the stories in Masada, when we go to Israel, you go to Masada, the last stand of the Jewish holdout where they all committed suicide that night rather than be taken by the Romans back into slavery. This is on the eve of that. What are these Jewish believers in danger of? Friends, I think the author's appeal is don't go back. Don't go back to the comfort of the legalism of the works-based salvation. If you do, you will miss out on God's rest, on Sabbath rest. Isn't this what he says? Look at what he, we just read it here in verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from what? What does it say? His, we could put hers, their own work. They are in danger of not resting in God and going back to rest in their own works, their own legalism, going back to what was comfortable. And if they do, they are in danger of missing out on the blessings of God's rest. I think that's what this chapter is about. And I think it fits perfectly with the story in the Old Testament. And then I ask myself, what is the application for us today? What is the application for us today? Is there any application? You know, remember what Paul says? All Scripture is what? What's the word in the King James we learned it in? Profitable. It's profitable. It's good. All Scripture. What can we learn from this passage? Listen, friends. Do you and I have any danger of losing out? 
on resting in God. Are you ever tempted to go back to what's what's comfortable for you? When your life is challenged, what is comfortable for you to go back to? Isn't it our human nature? It's our human nature to 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 think if if we do enough, if we accomplish enough, then we can please God. Isn't that human nature? Ask anybody. Ask anybody. Go on, go out and ask anybody tomorrow. Just randomly and ask them. Do you, do you, when you die, do you think you're going to be in heaven? By far. No one's going to say to you, I don't believe in a God. There are some, but that's not the majority. Just look at the statistics. What they're going to say is, I hope so. Thank you. I hope so. Why do you hope? What, do you, what is your hope on it? Well, I hope that I've been good enough. Because it's in our human nature to think that we can work our way to please God. And when we send the message of Jesus Christ that God loves you as much now as he's ever going to love you. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. We talked about this in our Bible instruction class last week. Yes, the Christian faith, we, we, we talk about original sin. And we talk about the fact that, that in, our, in, our flesh, in our humanity, there's nothing we can do to please God for salvation because as we have sung this morning, He is holy. He either is holy or He isn't holy. He is not part holy. If I have a glass of pure water and I put two drops of poison in it and gave it to you and said, well, it's only two drops. It's polluted. It either is or it isn't. God is holy. and Because He is holy, He cannot accept sin into His presence. So Jesus Christ came and paid the price and offered the sacrifice and satisfied God's anger against my sin because I am not holy. And I am now welcome in God's presence because of Jesus Christ. But you know, there's something about my human nature that still wants to to think that I can do something to enhance my salvation. And I want to tell you today, friends, I think there's a lesson here for, for us. I think this is profitable for us. Because one of the things that we are always in danger, and I'll close with this. I just want to point you to Galatians, Paul's epistle to the church at Galatia. I want you to just—I'm just going to point this to you so you can read this on your own. We can't read it all this morning. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you go to Galatians and this this epistle where Paul takes this on head on, and 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 Paul comes to these people. And he says in chapter 3, these are Christians. These are Christians. You foolish Galatians. What has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as sacrifice. I would like to learn just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Read Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4. Well, read the whole book. It's only six chapters. You could do it. Read Paul's confrontation with the Apostle Peter. He says, Peter, you can't do this. You can't preach that, that people are saved by, by God's grace and then, and then turn on and say, but you have to connect yourself to the Mosaic Law. And listen, friends. The message, you know, we, we, we say you don't die on every hill. But as far as our church is concerned, there is one hill we will die on. 
And that is the grace of God. For by grace you are saved. Through faith. I learned it in the King James. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That is the hill we will die on. Is the message of the grace of God. Because that is what brings people into a relationship with God and to rest in worship and to be in that place of Sabbath rest. For we are His workmanship created unto good works. Should we do good works? Yes. Should we live lives pleasing to God? Yes. Should we not take advantage of the fact we are saved by grace to sin? Yes. But friends, we can never change the message. The holy God, as we have sung about this morning, the God who said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I just wanted to remind you of that message this morning. We are saved. Israel was saved by God's grace. The works of the law were an expression of their faith. But they didn't. God chose them. He chose to choose them. And he says, it's because I chose to love you. It was part of God's plan of salvation. And so I just want to remind you today, friends, we must always, we must always keep before us, and every one of us, every one of us, because of our human tendency, we must always keep before us the danger of legalism. That we don't transition our message of the grace of God to doing something to earn God's favor. Live a life pleasing to God, yes. But there's nothing you or I can do that's going to cause God to love us any more than he loves us now. We preach the message of the grace of God. And I think that's what the danger in Hebrews chapter 4 is all about And they paid the consequence. And we don't want anyone to pay the consequence of missing out on a life of dependence and rest completely in what God has done for us. That's what we've worshipped about this morning. That's why I appreciate the songs and the worship we've, we've shared this morning. Because the psalmist says, Zion is the place where you come, Israel, and worship me. And that generation lost that privilege and they had to worship in the desert and not in the land that was their possession. Let's close our service. You guys, come on up. Next week, we're going to continue Hebrews chapter 5. Tonight, we're going to look at the passage that's pretty well known. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we have a high priest who cannot... Not be touched with our infirmities, but when always was tempted like us. Beautiful passage of scripture. Come and join us tonight. We're going to look at that some more. Amen. Hallelujah. As worship time today touched your heart and brought you close to God, lift your heart to God, say amen. Amen. Moses went up that mountain. And while he was up there, the people rebelled in a terrible way. He went back up to get the tablets a second time. And... Uh, he said this. This is what Moses said to God. Now, come on. Now, this, this is talking to God. Lord, 
You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor. Remember that this nation is your presence. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses dared to say to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? I want to see you, God. I want to know you're going with us. Moses said to God, show me. He demanded of God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face and live. For no one may see me and live. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And I will remove my back, my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And Moses was placed in that cleft of the rock, covered with God's hand, and his glory went by. And Moses went back down and took the people. And took the people. Father, we pray today as we leave this place, we pray that we would see your glory. Lord, we read in your scripture that your Holy Spirit actually dwells in us. We will never understand that. But by your grace and mercy, we have been saved. And your Holy Spirit dwells, the glory of God dwells in us. We all know we don't deserve it but you've chosen to love us. And Father, may we never go back to Egypt. May we rest in the confidence that you have forgiven us, you love us, and that we are free to live a life victorious over sin and a life that pleases you. May we walk with you as we leave this place this day. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen.